And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. The Bible says in Psalm 84, 11, my last verse, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I've based my whole life on that, that it pays to serve God, and I believe that with all my heart. God has given us a guidebook. God has given us a directional map. And that guidebook, that map, is the precious Word of God. Listen, don't just go and sit in the pew. Find some way to serve and serve as a family. Be a part of everything at church. And when you learn to love what God loves, um, your children will learn to love it as well. Homes are not that spiritually strong. We're getting overtaken by the world quickly, but unfortunately, we're pumping all the sewage in. You know, we're letting the world in when that ought to be a haven. If we could see the result of all that God does in every service where the Word of God is lifted and preached, we'd be dumbfounded and amazed at what God does. It's just not about uh, an attendance number on a board. How many people can you get coming faithfully to your church? The purpose of church is not for attendance. The purpose of church is for growth. But if we look in the mirror, we're not perfect either. And the truth is, again, you can't change the other person. You can't get them saved. You can't change their faults. But God can. But you can change your own faults through God's help. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, come to the end of what's best for you, Start doing what's best for the sake of the Savior. Welcome back to Sandy Creek Stirrings. Glad to have you back today. I'm your host, Joshua Jimenez. It's been a few weeks since we've been able to record and release an episode of Sandy Creek Stirrings. I hope that you had a wonderful Christmas season. I hope you had a wonderful New Year. I know that I did. We really enjoyed the time we were able to spend together as a family. Then right after New Year's, uh, me and my wife and my teen group, we ended up going to a teen conference a few hours north of us, and so things have been going great, and we've enjoyed the time together, but I'm glad to be back here with you on the podcast here for another episode, and we're chugging right along, moving right along. I will tell you this. Let me give a word to the listeners, all right? A word to the listeners. I understand that we've had a few weeks where we've missed and we haven't been able to record episodes. My goal in producing the podcast is to be able to not have any stoppages and just be able to continue to record in each and every single week. I will warn you now that there will be times throughout the year where we'll have to take a step back and we might not be able to record for a week or two. But it will be for the sake of my ministry and my family time that I'll just need to take a step back at certain times throughout the year and allow the podcast to sit for a week or two, and then we'll end up recording another episode and get things moving forward as well. That really concept of this schedule 
was really unprecedented until the past year, year and a half or so. And But now I'm recording episodes as we move forward, and I still enjoy podcasting, still enjoy recording. But as the church has grown, as the ministry has grown, as my family has grown, more of those need time. And so the podcast in those situations will have to take a back seat within the level of priorities when those come together. So our church is doing well. Church is growing. New ministry started. We just started a brand new Bible Institute that we're really excited about. Just had the first uh, class this past week. was phenomenal. It was really, really good. And so I'm looking forward to continuing that. And things are just, we're excited about all that we see Victory Springs Independent Baptist Church in High Springs, Florida. All that we see will be happening as we move forward for the cause of Christ. Our theme is so much the more in 2024 for my church, and that's really a a burden and a vision I have for myself. I want to do more. I want to do more for the cause of Christ. I want to be better for the cause of Christ, and I hope that you do too. As always, if you have any questions, you can email me, joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com. Again, that's joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com. You can keep up with the podcast on Facebook or on our website. That website is sandycreekstirrings.com. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, let me encourage you to leave us a review. If you would, it'd be a blessing, and it'd help other people to be able to find the content and hopefully enjoy the content that you have been listening to here on the podcast We are into an episode today that's going to be a little interesting. We're going to kind of carry over the same subject over the next two weeks, dealing with a couple questions on the subject really revolving around alcohol. Now, we have recorded an episode on alcohol way back, let's see, it would have been, what date was this? November 3rd, 2020, so wow, we're looking at over three years ago. We recorded episode number 38, Alcohol and the Christian. What does the Bible have to say about alcohol? So many people say, Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus made alcohol. It's not what the Bible is saying. You need to go back and understand what the Bible is talking about within those passages. And so we went very in-depth there, episode number 38, on alcohol and the Christian. I also, if you are more of a video person, maybe you're the type of person, I'm a podcast guy, um, but I'll listen to anything. I don't even have to watch the video. I'll just listen. And uh, But if you're a person who you're into podcasts, that's your thing, we'll go back and listen to episode number 38. If you're more of a person that, you know what, you would be helped by seeing it, like seeing a video of it, I actually taught that same lesson, that same principle in a Sunday school class. If you go to our YouTube page um, for Victory Springs Independent Baptist Church and you go all the way back to November 7th of 2021, or type in Victory Springs Baptist, a biblical response to alcohol. You will see a video there where I taught a Sunday school lesson on the subject of alcohol. You can watch that in video form if you would prefer to do that. But needless to say, we've covered that, and that is a building block for the episodes that we'll be talking about over the next couple weeks. You need that. You need that foundation. Now, whether you believe in in Jesus making alcohol, or whether you believe it was just grape juice, which is the correct answer. But anyway, um, whether you believe either side, you need to understand the principles and the reason why we arrive at that conclusion that this was not alcohol, this was not a drink that was intoxicating that Jesus made. We went back and talked about not only the biblical perspective, but we went back and talked about the historical perspective. A lot of people don't know anything about yayin. What is that? You say, what is that? 
I'm glad you asked. Go back and listen to episode number 38, where we discussed what is Yayin? What was this grape, shall I say, paste that they had, that they made? What was this used for? How did they use it? Why, what was mixed during? Did they mix drinks back in the Bible? What, what is all this talking about? You have to go back and listen to that. And let me tell you this. If you haven't listened to that episode or you haven't been in my church and you've heard me teach on this before, um, let me encourage you, go back and listen to that, and that'll lay the foundation for the principles that we discussed today. I would venture to say, though I'm going to try and make it easy to understand and simple, I'd venture to say that today won't make a whole lot of sense if you haven't gone back and laid that first foundation, that first principle, that the Bible stands against alcohol. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't have to redo that episode, though there are some episodes that I would like to go back and revisit isn't the right word. Maybe renew is the proper term to just go back and just update some of these episodes. But if I go back and update, I don't have time to record new episodes. Speaking of time, let me chase a bunny real quick. All right, let me chase a little rabbit. I'm so excited. We have something we'll be releasing on Sandy Creek Stirrings not necessarily an episode series or not necessarily a guest or anything, but something that really is going to take the content that we've produced within Sandy Creek Stirrings, the 200 and over over 270 episodes we've produced, and really make it more personable, really make it something that can grow people. I'm very, very excited about what we can move forward with and, and something we'll be producing here on Sandy Creek Stirrings. More to come on that later. But you need to go back and listen to that episode, episode number 38. Now, I don't have to do an entire episode discussing that because we already have that. But nonetheless, we can sum this up in Proverbs chapter 20, verse number 1, because the Bible's clear. The Bible's simple. Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I want it to be very, very clear. As we, I don't want to preach to you today. I, we're, we're having a conversation about this subject. So sit down with me. Let's have a conversation. We can clearly prove from Scripture that we should have nothing to do with alcohol. You may disagree. Go back and listen to that previous episode because the biblical reality the truth that the Bible shares on this subject is so explicit. There, there's no gray area. It's very clear. In Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever, as I tell my kids whenever I quote for them uh, uh, Romans 10, 13, before they go to bed at night, for whosoever, I say, for whosoever, that means anybody. In the same way, and whosoever is deceived thereby, that means anybody who is deceived that wine doesn't mock me. Uh, strong drink doesn't make me rage. The Bible says you're a fool if you think that. You've been deceived. You've been intoxicated by that lie. Again, go back and listen to that lesson that we mentioned if you need to study up on the topic. I'll put this out there, and I back it up. I have backed it up. This is not my personal opinion. This is plain and clear Scripture. So the question really comes about when you're reading through your Bible and you come to, what is it, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that fifth book, right? The fifth book um, of the Pentateuch, we've got that fifth book, Deuteronomy. 
As you're reading through the scripture, you come to a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 14, and this is where really where that question is coming from, is Deuteronomy 14, and we're going to look at verse number 23. We'll read a, a few verses of scripture, verses 23 through verse, I think it's, let's see, it's verse number 29, all right? So let, let me read that to you, Deuteronomy 14, 23 through 29. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God, in the place which he shall choose to place his name there, the tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thine oil, and the firstlings of thy herds, and of thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. And if the way be too long for thee, so that thou art not able to carry it, or if the place be too far from thee, which the Lord thy God shall choose to set his name there, when the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, then thou shalt turn it into money. And bind up the money into thine hand, and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, for oxen, or for sheep, or for wine, or for strong drink, or for whatsoever thy soul desireth. And thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice, thou and thine household. And the Levite that is within thy gates, thou shalt not forsake him, for he hath no part nor inheritance with thee. At the end of three years, thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year, and thou shalt lay it, or, or shalt lay it up within thy gates. And the Levite, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow which are within thy gates, shall come, and shall eat, and be satisfied that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand which thou doest. The, the key point of this question comes from verse 26. Thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after. And then it says, or for wine, or for strong drink. The question could be asked in a multitude of different ways. But let me put it this way. Is the Bible telling us to take our tithe? and buy wine or strong drink with it, right? We're not just keeping this to the subject of wine and what is wine within the Bible, but it says strong drink. Is the Bible telling us to take our tithes and to buy strong drink? Okay, so let's take a look at it. When we look at Deuteronomy 14, and it, it does have the verbiage strong drink there, you can go read it for yourself, we can first approach it with this knowledge that God's people should have nothing to do with alcohol. Here's the reason, because we've already laid the foundation. Again, if you missed it, I, I know I'm hitting it again. Go back and listen to episode number 38. It lays that foundation, that undeniable truth that we already know, we can already prove. Remember, we don't take the hard stuff and try and prove the easy stuff through the hard stuff. We take the stuff that is easy to prove, the stuff that is, we already know. We take the undeniable truths of Scripture. And when we come to something that we're like, wait a second, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That seems like a contradiction. That seems like this and that. How are we supposed to take that? We take the construct we already have. We take the foundation we already know. And we can apply that because it's an undeniable truth. So we've already proved, we already know, I should have nothing to do with alcohol. Now, what does that lead me to believe? What is this passage talking about? Knowing this fact, already having this foundation laid. Because, okay, humanly speaking, right? Let's step back for a second. Humanly speaking, it sure does look a lot like it's telling us to drink or consume alcohol, right? That's what it looks like at face value. But is what is that is that what that passage is actually saying? Let's go back to the context. The portion of scripture is dealing with some laws about the tithes. 
Now, there are a ton of laws in regards to the tithes and different ways these tithes would be given within the Old Testament. Now, we've done an episode on tithing before. If you go to sandycreekstirrings.com, click the Episodes tab, there's a search box, type in tithe or tithing, and you will see an episode come up on that subject. We've recorded that why tithing is still in place for the New Testament church today, which is, by the way, 10% of your gross income. That's what a tithe is, and it should be given to the Lord through the local church. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1-2 through 2 says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Within the Old Testament laws, we find that a tithe was to be given of the increase of your field. Anything that was an increase was to be tithed upon. In the same way that you and I are supposed to tithe 10% of our increase, the Israelites would take 10% of their increase of everything, just like you and I, and give it to God. There are some people who say tithing isn't true. Nobody's ever tithed because if we tithe 10% of this and 10% of that and 10% of this and 10% of that and we add it all up, it'd be 70%. You've missed the point because the Bible is talking about 10% of all. If you added it all up as income, it would be 10% of all. It wouldn't be 70%. It wouldn't be 60%. You don't understand math if that's your logic. Because 10%, if God says, hey, I want 10% of your income, then everything that comes in deserves to be tithed upon. I'll tell you a, a truth for me, and some, a lot of people don't think about this, and it's okay. Think about it, ponder it, and, and go over these things. If somebody gives me a gift card, right? Somebody gives me a gift card for a, 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 a birthday or something. I tithe off of that gift card. You know why? Because it's income. Now, it's not the same thing as being given cash. I understand that, but it is an increase for me. And so I tithe on it. Somebody gives me a, a $100 Bass Pro gift card. Somebody gives me a $50 McDonald's gift card. Well, the next time I'm in church, I'm tithing $15 because I'm going to tithe the 10% off of the Bass Pro card, and I'm going to tithe the $5 off of the, what did I say, the Walmart card, the $50 card. I'm going to tithe off of those. Why? Because they're an increase. The truth be told, I've heard people say, we don't all tithe because we don't do all our increase, and you're right. A lot of people are cheating God because they don't consider some things that are increased, they don't consider them to be increased. We as Christians need to take a step back and say, you know what, I need to make sure I'm tithing on all of my increase that God gives me. Now, going back to the Old Testament, the Israelites would take 10% of the increase of the field, and they would give it to God, the 10% of the harvest, which, by the way, you can read in verse 22 of Deuteronomy 14. They'd take 10% of their flocks, which was also called their firstlings. You see that in verse 23. This particular portion of their tithe, though, would be something special. It wouldn't be given completely to the tabernacle and the Levites, as usual to care for the house of God. The Israelites were allowed to take part in the consuming of the tithe by having and holding a feast at the place where the tabernacle or where the temple was located. Okay? So they would get the the 10% of their harvest and the 10% of their flock, right? 
10% of their increase overall together. But those particular portions, they would take the 10% from each in there. Let's say they had 100 sheep and, and they had increased to 100 sheep. And let's say they somebody gave them a flock and their sheep, and their flock, <laughs> their, their sheep flock, or however you say this, increased by 100. Well, one tithe or 10% of that flock would be what? What's 10% of 100? That would be 10, right? All right, so they take 10 sheep as their tithe. Let's say they get 100 bushels of corn or whatever. They're going to tithe off of that. So they take 10 bushels of corn, and they've got the 10 sheep, and that's their tithe. They wouldn't give it all to the tabernacle of the Levites, as everything else usually was. There was something different. They would take all of that to the tabernacle or to the temple, and God would allow them to have a feast there. Now, you did have some people who lived too far from the temple to transport all the firstlings of their flock and 10% of their harvest. They just lived too far. They couldn't bring it all that distance, and so what should they do? Well, when we get to verses 24 and 25, it explains, God is explaining, if you live too far away, let's say you have more than 100 sheep, let's say you have 10,000 sheep, now you've got to bring 1,000 sheep all the way from where you live over here, and let's say you've got 1,000 bushels of corn, you can't transport that all the way to the temple. God is not unreasonable. And so God says, hey, here's what you're going to do. You're going to sell all of that, keep the money, and then you'll travel to the tabernacle, to the temple for that feast. All right, so they would get the money in hand. They would travel to the place God had appointed them, and there they would buy whatsoever their soul. And the Bible uses this term, lusteth after, which you find in verse number 26. The Hebrew word, all right, let's go back and talk about this word lusteth for a second. The Hebrew word for lusteth is the Hebrew word ava, A-V-A within English. What's interesting is that the word lust or lusted or lusteth is mentioned 19 times in Scripture. Only four of those times is the Hebrew word ava used out of those 19. Fifteen other times we have the same English word lusteth, but a different Hebrew word for that same English definition. Ava, according to the Strong's Concordance, that Hebrew word for lusteth used here and three other times in Scripture out of 19 total times, Ava means, quote, to desire, to crave, and specifically within the Strong's Concordance it says to crave food or drink. Just because it says lusteth, doesn't necessarily make this particular action a sin. The word lusteth here simply means to desire, right? To have a deep, inset desire. There have been times, right, where you have lusted after a food. It wasn't necessarily a wrong lust. Have you ever had a craving before? I'll tell you my, the thing that I lust after within the food world, right? The thing that I ava in Hebrew. Uh, don't tell anybody but a double quarter pounder with cheese. And I just found out about this deluxe thing you can do. If you've only had a, a double quarter pounder with cheese and you've never had a deluxe, you need to try a deluxe. That is my comfort food. That is my thing where I'm going through a tough time. Uh, my wife is going to stop and get me a double quarter pounder with cheese. And uh, it's just great. I know it's, it's, I know it's McDonald's. It's cheap. It's probably not even real meat. Like I, I get all the comments. It's just greasy. It's just good. I like it. That's what I ava. That's what I desire. That's what I crave within the world of food. The word lusteth here doesn't necessarily imply sin, like the sin of lust that we often talk about. Not the same thing. Look, 
most Israelites weren't rich. They couldn't just go out and say, boy, I want a filet mignon tonight. I want a steak tonight. And they just buy whatever they wanted. They weren't rich. So when they lived too far from the temple, what they would do is they would turn that tithe, we've already talked about, they would turn that tithe into money and would then travel to the temple. And while they were in town, right, they were in the big city, while they were there, they could purchase any food or drink that they desired or craved, or as the Bible termed, they ava, they lusted after, they desired. It could be leg of lamb, it could be curry goat, it could be fruit salad, it could be fried fish. I mean, all the things they couldn't usually get, but they crave. They're like, man, I can't wait until this year when the feast happens and I'm going to buy this. I'm going to go down to the McDonald's and I'm going to buy a double quarter pounder deluxe with cheese. And they're like, I'm bringing that to the feast. I've wanted one the whole year. They couldn't normally do it, which, by the way, McDonald's is getting so expensive, I can't normally do it. It's like, I think it's like, $10 for just the sandwich or $9 for just the sandwich. It's ridiculous. What happened to the dollar menu? Anyway, getting back to the point, they couldn't buy it throughout the year, and now they can go to the city. Now they can go to the big city, and they can purchase it because they have that money on hand. God wanted this. You read through the passage. God wanted this to be a celebration. He wanted it to be a time of rejoicing. But it is of note that all these things weren't to be consumed of their own selves. Everything they brought in, all the stuff they brought to the feast, were to be given for three different purposes. All right, In verse 26, you find they were to be given for the feast, right? That's one reason they brought all this stuff. They were going to have a feast. They had to bring the food. They had to bring the drink. They had to bring all these different things to be able to have the feast. So that's the first reason these things were brought in. The second reason was for the sacrifices. Go back and read the entirety of this passage. You'll find that some of the stuff was still used for the sacrifices there at the temple and the tabernacle. The third reason why, and you read it there in that passage, or you heard it as I read it, was for the Levites. Hey, they had no inheritance. They had none of this earthly possessions that a lot of the other tribes had. They didn't have all that. And so the Levites would be included in this feast, and when people brought all this food and brought all this drink, it was kind of like the potluck, right? And the Levites were allowed to partake in that as well. Now you say, wait a second, Brother Josh, I don't see anywhere where it says that some of this is to be used for sacrifices or the Levites. Like I hear references, but I'm not seeing that in particular. And you would be right to a degree within Deuteronomy 14. It briefly mentions these subjects, but it doesn't necessarily hit the nail on the head. But do you really think this is the only passage in the Bible that deals with laws concerning the feasting tithes? No. In fact, the common Israelite reading through the book of Deuteronomy would already be familiar with some of the feasting tithe laws because some of these same laws were talked about just two chapters before in Deuteronomy 12. Now, we are going to read a passage from Deuteronomy 12 real quick, and if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to go to Deuteronomy 12. If you don't, I'm going to read it to you again. But before we get there, let me remind you what the Bible says in Isaiah 28, verse 10. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, and there a little. No, I wasn't repeating myself. That's literally what the Bible says. It repeats itself to make it very, very clear. Because Isaiah and God wanted to remind you that we base our beliefs off of all of Scripture, not just a single passage. 
We don't just go in and we rip a verse out of context and say, this tells me I can drink alcohol. No, 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 no. We build this all up with Scripture line upon line and precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. So let's go over to Deuteronomy chapter 12. We're going to read verses 5 through 7 and then verses 17 through 19, all right? So 5 through 7 says this, But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall ye seek, and thither thou shalt come. And thither ye shall bring your burnt offerings, and your sacrifices, and your tithes, and heave offerings of your hand, and your vows, and your free will offerings, and notice this, and the firstlings of your herds and of your flocks. Well, hey, that's talking about that feast they're going to be holding later on in Deuteronomy 14. Verse 6, right there, let's see, nope, verse 7. And there ye shall eat before the Lord your God, and ye shall rejoice in all that he put your hand unto, ye and your households, wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. Now we're going to read verses 17 through 19. Thou mayest not eat within the, thy, thy gates... Thou mayest not eat within thy gates the tithe of the corn, or of thy wine, nor of thy oil, or of the firstlings of thy herds, or of thy flock, nor any of the vows which thou vowest, nor thy freewill offerings, or heave offering of thine hand, but thou must eat them before the Lord thy God, in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose, thou, and thy son, and thy daughter, and thy manservant, and thy maidservant, and the Levite that is within thy gates, and thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God in all that thou puttest thine hands unto. Take heed to thyself that thou forsake not the Levite as long as thou livest upon the earth. This passage is very clear. Some of these things that they brought were to be consumed at the feast with the Levites. And some of it was to be used for the sacrifices. So we've got three reasons they would bring all this to the temple and the tabernacle. And yes, we're wrapping this up. One was for the feast. One was some of it was to be used for sacrifices. And the other reason was so there would be enough to take care of the Levites. Now, as we move forward, remember... We already have the command, we already have the biblical principle to not drink alcohol, not drink strong drink. So let's continue. If they weren't allowed to drink strong drink, then what did they do with it? Because clearly within Deuteronomy 14, they were at least allowed during this time to buy it. You don't see them consuming it, not specifically. That's just a little note there. But They were allowed to buy it, and if they were allowed to buy it, what did they do with it? Did they drink it? We already know they weren't supposed to. What did they do with it? Numbers 28, verse 7, gives us clear insight into a way that strong drink was used. It was used as what the Bible calls a drink offering to the Lord. Okay, Numbers 28, verse 7, listen to this. And the drink offering thereof shall be the fourth part of an hen for the one lamb. In the holy place thou shalt cause the strong wine to be poured out unto the Lord for a drink offering. So what was commanded here? They would go and they would buy for the feast and for the sacrifices. But what portion do we have within Scripture that strong drink was used for? They weren't allowed to use it to consume it. We have that principle in Scripture. They weren't allowed to do that. So if they bought strong drink, what would it be used for? Well, Numbers 28, verse 7 leads us to that conclusion that it was to be used as a drink offering before the Lord. It was to be used as a sacrifice to God. That 
is what Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 26 is talking about. Is talking about buying strong drink to give as a sacrifice to fulfill that drink offering before the Lord. So I hope that kind of gives you some insight on exactly what that passage is talking about. And if you have any further questions on that passage, you can email me, joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com. Again, that's joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com. All right? And so... Um, I want you to go back and listen again to episode number 38. If you missed it, go back and listen to that episode. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget, next week we will be continuing with that same idea, the same subject, the same discussion of alcohol. And we're going to talk about next week a passage where the Bible says to give wine and strong drink to the sad and the dying. Well, wait a second. I mean, clearly that has to be talking about consuming strong drink. What is wrong with that? Is that a contradiction of Scripture? We're going to talk about that next week. I'm so glad to be back with you, my friends. I hope you're having a great beginning to your year. Remember, let's all, I know it's a theme for my church. Make it a theme for your personal life. So much the more in 2024. Until next time, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ. Thank you.